Hey guys, welcome to this special episode of the Weekly Dispatch. We're finally back after a month and a half. Thank you so much for your patience. This week we are going to talk about Kasim Soleimani. You've heard a lot about him in the news in the last six days. And clearly it's elicited a violent response from Iran, which we will cover here shortly. Before we get started, for all of you beginning the new year with fitness goals, check out Paragon Recovery using the code CRONUS, our sponsor for this podcast, to save on great deals for recovery products, sleep products, all stuff that Bobby and I have talked about for the last year, getting you back into the fight and keeping you ready for the next objective. But today we're going to talk about Kasim Soleimani. a major general. An interesting note before we start, he used to be a construction worker and a bodybuilder. He has been described as some with snowy white hair, a dapper beard, and he gained notice during Iran's eight-year war with Iraq back in the 80s. So enough of sugarcoating it, let's get back into who he really was. He was the senior commander of Iran's Revolutionary Guard. He was also the head of the Quds Force, graduating to that role 20 years ago. Soleimani was, in U.S. terms, a combination of the CIA director, the JSOC commander, and the special presidential envoy to the Middle East. He was essentially the most second most important person in Iran and commander of Iranian initiatives to solidify control over the Shia Crescent. Seen by many as the leader in the Middle East to fight Sunni initiatives like ISIS and al-Qaeda. After his death, Soleimani has been replaced by Brigadier General Ismail Ghani, who worked closely with Soleimani as the new Quds Force commander. So some stuff that Soleimani was responsible for uh, with the IRCG, he expanded Iran's Islamic resistance through Iraq, Iran, and Syria, including going against U.S. initiatives and coalition allies there. The Quds are a foreign military and clandestine force responsible for attacks and planned attacks in Lebanon, Iraq, Syria, Germany, Bahrain, Kenya, and Turkey. And the list can probably go on from there. But he delegated Iranian diplomats to meet with U.S. forces to discuss uh, the Taliban threat after 9-11, working briefly with U.S. allies. However, during Iraq, uh, the U.S. says that the Quds and Shia militias were responsible for 600 U.S. deaths, which is about 17% of all deaths in Iraq. So clearly there was some split between U.S. interests and the interests of Iran as we entered Iraq. And U.S. and Iran parties really only aligned ever against the fight against ISIS. And in April 2019, uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo designated the Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps as a terrorist organization, which included Qasim Soleimani. So that's kind of how we got to this point this last week where we killed him. Uh, Soleimani in that time continued supporting Hezbollah brigades and Shia militias, targeting two weeks ago uh, for, tar for firing rockets at U.S. bases, and he died at the age of 62. So after a drone strike took out Soleimani outside of Baghdad, the Iranian response was pretty quick and very angry. The Supreme Leader Ayatollah al-Khamenei called for three days of national mourning after the attack, during which time they were planning for a response to the U.S. forces. In Tehran, massive protests on Friday during their prayers uh, was for the man that most of them felt was leading the charge against ISIS in Iraq and Syria. Again, kind of along the same lines of the United States, but they saw him as a national figure. 
Uh, many of them said, including some of their state TV, that God willing, it is now time to clear and cleanse the region of these devils, that being the Americans, and it is now time to show more resistance to those same Americans and show our resistance with our action. Went on to say Abu Fadi Shakuri, who is the Iranian Armed Forces spokesman, that Iran has the right to respond to the assassination of Soleimani, and our response will be strong if there is a war in this region. The cause is the United States of America. Iran will avoid any hasty response, but will retaliate for the assassination of Soleimani, and any U.S. move after the Iranian response will face a more robust action. This kind of alluded in the early parts of this week to an attempt to de-escalate the situation between Iran and the United States. Clearly, a red line was created by President Trump indicating that if any future attacks were to go against the United States, resulting in casualties on our part or potentially coalition allies' parts, that we would see a much larger response, that being the targeting of 52 sites, including some cultural sites, something that Senator Graham actually criticized and said to President Trump, we can't target cultural sites, however, military targets are acceptable. And then we kind of get back to the attack and how Qasem Soleimani died. The attack occurred Friday morning, shortly after uh, Soleimani arrived. Uh, it also killed his close ally and aide, Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis, who is the deputy head of Iranian-backed Iraqi militias uh, called the Hashti Shabi. The Ayatollah said that Soleimani's martyrdom will make Iran more decisive to resist American expansionism and defend the Islamic values. With no doubt, Iran and other freedom-seeking countries will take his revenge. And so in the very chaotic 72 hours that follow this attack, between the prayers and the potential war preparations in Iran, a lot of the international community actually saw this as an act of war on the part of the Americans. Uh, anywhere with military presence, essentially, Iran vowed and urged Americans to leave in the wake of coming attacks. And that includes regions like the greater Middle East as well as Southeast Asia. When we talk about kind of the world response, even the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights described the attack as likely violating international law. And we'll get into that with the Iraq response because it happened on their sovereign territory. Uh, a former White House National Security Office uh, advisor, Hillary Leverett, believed that Iran has really no other option but to respond. And that's what we saw this past morning and argued that going to war with Iran would be the most significant adversary the U.S. would take on since World War II. And this is somewhat correct because they actually have some authorities to control both in their airspace as well as the Gulf that surrounds them. Uh, Secretary Pompeo posted a video afterwards of the Iraqis actually celebrating Soleimani's death because many in Iraq believed Iran's responsible for the instability in that country and more than 500 deaths in the past year. Inside Iran, though, Soleimani was just that celebrated national figure. Uh, internationally, he was the face of U.S. resistance and kind of remained untouched by any waning support the government had due to economic issues in the past five years. But then we kind of looked at Iraq now and some of that fault that we talked about. In the wake of the attack, thousands attended the funeral procession in order to pay their respects for Soleimani and al-Mahandas. The procession included the eight bodies, uh, the eight total individuals killed in the attack, including Soleimani's. Uh, broader support uh, was felt earlier in this week when a majority of uh, the popular mobilization forces started joining and organizing these events. Senior officials from Iraq also joined, including the Prime Minister, Abu Mahdi, and he marched among the crowds. 
Now, the organization and the center of this place was at Jadria, outside of the Green Zone, and then it was kind of unknown whether security forces were going to attempt to prevent the procession from marching through the Green Zone. In the wake of that strike killing Soleimani and Mohandes, Iraq had mounting crawls to remove U.S. forces, uh, whether by political or military means, and the Prime Minister called for an emergency session to discuss the matter. Support from pro-Iranian alliances uh, comprised of the political wing of that pro-mobilization force and another block of the Muqtaw al-Sadr uh, really tried to get the United States now out of Iraq because they saw this as a Shia militia group that was supported by Iran within the country uh, now having one of its aides in Iran targeted. So there's, there's like a long history between Iraq and Iran of both hate and then some groups in Iraq because of the Sunni and Shia relationships there where they see these individuals as actual allies. The question for expelling U.S. forces kind of came down to a, a couple questions. One, did the bill have to come from the executive office warranting a vote to kick U.S. forces out, or would a vote from parliament to nullify the agreement between the U.S. and Iraq for ongoing operations be enough? The last question was, can the government even do this since the government is essentially a caretaker organization awaiting on transition to a new government, new elections, et cetera? Going on to more of the world response, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, called for leaders to exercise maximum restraint uh, amid reports that the Gulf region is fearful of a larger scale conflict, including those nations with US forces like Qatar. So for many of us who have gone to Afghanistan or Iraq, you fly through that area. They've got air bases, they got them all over the Middle East. Now, Qatar's foreign minister scheduled a trip to Iran to discuss peaceful de-escalation of the current threat because of the fear that if Iran went after U.S. bases in the region, Qatar could be a threat. Gutierrez went on to say that the world can't afford another war in the Gulf, which I think everyone could agree. And there was worry over whether Iran would respond quickly and timely to the assassination. And here we now see Wednesday morning uh, that being the case. Iran's President Rouhani met with the families of Soleimani this past Saturday in the capital of Tehran, saying that the Americans do not realize what a big mistake they've made. They will see the consequences of their mistakes, not only today, but in the years to come. This great man deserved not to be killed by an ordinary personal terrorist, but to be martyred by the history's biggest terrorist. And we're gonna get into, at the end of the segment, exactly what other courses of action the United States might have been able to take in order to curb this potentially imminent threat or take out a senior planner that was responsible for much of the bloodshed in Iraq for US personnel, as, what he, as many as the, the civilians in that area. Iranian leaders went on to uh, further state it would set ablaze places supported by the United States, designating the US now a terrorist organization, much like we designated theirs. Uh, in Iran, the national morning, uh, Sunday, it started in Mashhad before traveling to Tehran, where Soleimani's body was to be placed at the Tehran University to be mourned and then have the Supreme Leader present a prayer over his body. Tuesday, Soleimani's remains would return to Kerman in central Iran, where he would be laid to rest, and that was per his uh, final request, essentially. However, there was uh, some sadness at the funeral for the many thousands that gathered. There was a large stampede in which 56 were killed during the funeral uh, procession, and then they moved his burial essentially a, a day later. Uh, the U.S. response to this, though, uh, the White House National Security Advisor Ambassador Robert O'Brien said, listen, I Iran has been rattling their shields for 40 years, threatening U.S. interests, shipping, and attacks, and th this is really nothing new. 
Uh, it sent a strong message to Iranian regime leaders as well as the Ayatollah that it's not going to tolerate uh, any threats from Iran any longer. And this threat can be seen as both in the planning that Soleimani was uh, preparing against U.S. coalition forces, as well as all previous attacks, both in the Gulf of Oman, the attack uh, in Saudi Arabia on the oil refinery, and, and any others that have happened even in the last three years. The president has always made it his first priority based on intel and information that is credible to protect U.S. interests, and that's something President Trump said earlier this morning uh, that we'll get into shortly. The president is the one who authorized this strike based on reports they plotted attacks uh, against U.S. diplomats and soldiers in these coming days. Now we move to this morning, the Iranian attack. They launched missiles at 1.30, uh, around the same time that Soleimani's body was being lowered into the ground, striking two air bases in Iraq, uh, Anna al-Assad and Taji. Iran claimed uh, Code 51 for self-defense in the attack on the air bases because it believed that the drone killing Soleimani origin originated from those locations. Uh, at Anna al-Assad, which is about 115 miles west of Baghdad, it appears that some missiles did strike the base, destroying uh, some parts of the compound, but essentially just a, a very abandoned uh, part of the airfield, and there were no reported U.S. casualties. Reports were roughly about 14 ballistic missiles were fired. We don't know yet what the Casualty numbers were, though, for Iraqis. But what's important to know is that if ballistic missiles were used, the surface-to-surface, -surface, uh, it shows a level of increase in technology from Iran working out the telemetry and the GPS data to fire these missiles over eight to 900 miles. But what's key to note in this is the U.S. appeared to have some warning, whether it was from radar or surveillance on these missile sites or even from Iranian back channels. And it's important because there were much more strategic targets that Iran could have attacked but failed to. And some have called this a quote-unquote nothing burger type of attack where Americans would likely not be injured just in an attempt for Iran to show their people and their country that it would stand resolute against what they called an act of terrorism through the death and assassination of Qasem Soleimani. This morning, President Trump held a press conference surrounded by generals from the JCS, reiterating tougher sanctions on Iran and appearing to de-escalate the situation and offer at the end really an opportunity for Iran to come back to the world table with the help and much more involvement from NATO allies in order to prevent more acts of violence. President Trump offered future, par future partnerships uh, against who he feels is really threatening the peace in the region in the Middle East against groups like ISIS, who's still a threat in Al-Qaeda, a, a common enemy of Iran. It's also important to see that Soleimani did have his finger on the pulse in the Middle East and has been a contributor to many attacks against the U.S. and coalition forces for decades. And while what currently remains a no about that threat that existed in the imminent attack, he kind of racked up enough of a reputation and a body count in the region that contributed to much of the terrorism that really this attack on his convoy outside of Baghdad sends a clear message One President Trump reiterated that if you harbor or plot against U.S. forces, you've essentially signed your own death warrant. And many critics of the attack on Soleimani, I think, have strayed away from assessing and analyzing that fact and more on just what the intel was that warranted such an attack on the sovereign uh, country of Iraq's soil. Key questions from this attack are, why now? 
Kasim Soleimani has been a target and the leader of what we have called a terrorist organization for years now. I mean, he's been in the position for almost two decades and is a well-known figure. Why not take him out sooner is something that many media outlets are trying to grapple with and get answers. Furthermore, a lot of the media outlets are looking to see what kind of intel led to this preemptive strike on Kasim Soleimani. Having served in some organizations where you use intelligence gathering to assess and then preemptively strike against any threats, it's really unlikely that the Pentagon and the US forces are going to release the intel that led to this strike for a number of reasons. One, you don't wanna let the individuals that you're monitoring know how you source that information, whether it's human intelligence, signal intelligence. You don't wanna give up that, that likely channel that you used. And again, we've gone after so many senior terrorists in the last two decades almost now. It's never been one where we've released exactly how we got that information. Outside of how we got Osama bin Laden, we haven't been releasing how we go after terrorist cells or organizations specifically because they're supposed to be clandestine operations and we're protecting those individuals that influence our operations from the intelligence gathering side. The other question we need to answer is the US safer now. Prior to this attack, uh, many in the Middle East are constantly in a state of combat awareness and readiness, and there's always going to exist a threat from some foreign or internal national element that's gonna fight you. Whether you're in Afghanistan or Iraq, there's gonna be the militias going after you, Al Qaeda, the Taliban, remnants of ISIS. So you're always aware and ready for this attack. Going after and killing the mastermind or the plotter, you might ask, does that make you safer because if the plan has already been laid out or this results in a larger scale escalation from Iran or those forces that he was working with in Iraq, you could argue that the US would not be safer because of the potential for an all out war now in the Gulf. And then the other thing we gotta look at is what sanctions will look like now with increased European aid. Many of the European countries started removing forces from the region. Germany had, I think, about 170 between Jordan and Iraq, and they started getting out. Uh, we started seeing some canceled airlines like Lufthansa going through the airspace. But if Europe is going to stand with the United States and with NATO allies, how will these sanctions look? Because for the, a long time, if we look back to when the British tanker was seized uh, earlier this summer, there was a strong call that the US sanctions were too tough in affecting Europeans. Now, if the Europeans want to look at the Iranian threat, since Iran is also saying we're no longer going to abide by sanctions for enriching uranium and we're gonna continue with that process, now there might be a larger global threat NATO wants to step in on. And then finally, the big question is, how will this affect the elections as well as the impending impeachment trial? Many will argue that President Trump showed a great deal of restraint. He indicated that there was a red line, that this potentially may or may not have crossed the red line with the ballistic missile strike in Iraq. But regardless, there was some restraint because those targets, the 52 of them, could have been struck at any time in the last six to, to eight hours or in the following 24 hours. But it appears that President Trump kind of took a step back, realized that Americans are at the end of the day safe because a leader that can't really be replaced by Iran at the moment because of his level of experience has now been removed from the future battlefield, making Americans a little bit safer, especially diplomats in the area.
Now we look at how that might affect elections. When we go, and this might be a crowning moment for President Trump to show that he does understand the world, uh, and it's going to be very important to see how the potential Democratic frontrunners will respond to this, whether showing their support for the removal of such a global threat or for saying that we should have reserved some decision-making to Congress and allowing them to have more of the war powers and authorities. And then we look at the impending impeachment trial. This might be an incident of wag the dog, some might argue, in where you create or sensationalize an event in order to distract from the actual ongoing news cycle. Uh, there was a movie that came out, I think, in the 90s called Wag the Dog, where it kind of talked about this. They made a, a fake incident in Bosnia. The media has also tried to allude to this fact, uh, but at the end of the day, there was a real consequence to this. So I think the Wag the Dog argument is a little weaker, although it is a distraction from the upcoming impeachment trial the impeachment trial has not begun yet in the Senate. In the Senate, they're still arguing over the terms and the parameters of this trial, as well as individuals like John Bolton uh, being subpoenaed or having a vote on uh, a subpoena uh, to testify before Congress. So, with all of that still in the planning stages, because Speaker Pelosi has not released the impeachment hearing from the House to the Senate, I think the argument is a little weaker uh, than some in the media would like to report. However, it is still a major distraction. But uh, that's all we have right now to report on between the U.S., Iraq, Iran, and global responses. Uh, make sure you guys get out and read and educate yourself on this matter, especially for those of you in the military that have friends that are in the 82nd, in the special operations community, <laughs> that are standing by potentially to go into harm's way because of decisions of senior officials. That's really important to know how geopolitics affect you in uniform, as well as your close friends uh, and family members. So everyone have a great day. We're looking forward to getting back to more weekly dispatches and collaborations between uh, me and Bobby. We're going to have some great programming coming out, both on the functional fitness side as well as the military prep side as we start ramping up uh, all of the Cronus fam to go to selections and schools and start getting after 2020 in a healthy and positive way. That's all I got, guys. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next weekend.